0: Welcome to Europe Chats. Today we have a special guest, Professor Michael Kading from the University of Duisburg Essen. Together with Paul Schmidt and Professor Johannes Pollack, Michael has edited a book from the TEPSA network analyzing how the notion of solidarity is understood and practiced in various European countries. We will discuss this book with Jim Claus our secretary-general and former director-general at the General Secretariat of the Council of the European Union, who prepared European Council meetings for almost two decades. Michael, you edited a book with 41 chapters written across Europe with national lens. What is the main takeaway? Does mutual European solidarity really exist? Or is it something that everyone wants and nobody wants to give?
1: Thank you very much, Marianne. Yes, I do. European solidarity, I do think that European solidarity uh, does exist. And we see this uh, during or on our journey throughout the 41 chapters very well. We see also the extremes. We see those where European solidarity, well, basically convinced or the public in the respective countries, such as Ireland. Ireland, for example, is a country that has been show- showered with European solidarity during the Brexit negotiations. Um, on the other hand, we fight the other extreme, if you want, Poland, for example, exemplifying European solidarity more as a one-way um, a support, not a concept of reciprocity. This is very striking when you read the Polish chapter, in fact, Uh, And um, you can see that from the Polish chapter, it becomes very clear that Poland expects to receive European solidarity, um, which, um, because of its history, because basically Poland is a deserving country which was betrayed by its allies and forced to the Soviet zone. So, solidarity, European solidarity in that regard, is a needed compensation for its misfortunes. That's what you would take out of the Polish chapter. So, yes, Mariam, it is a pretty much a book, a volume, that helps us understand that European solidarity exists in action, but in many forms and in very many different shapes. We have um, European solidarity as a value, we have solidarity, European solidarity as a motive for action, but also as a cornerstone of European integration, as we will see in the Union of Citizens and States, And eventually, interdependence between uh, those human beings, those citizens in the European Union um, and and states, found a moral duty to help each other. And this is exactly what all these various chapters in the book uh, illustrate very well and very nicely. This is what the book is all about.
0: Jim, Michael suggests that European solidarity is born out of interdependence, out of necessity. Through your experience in the European Council, Are all national leaders aware of this interdependence, or do they care mostly about their short-term self-interest?
2: First of all, Miriam, I'd like to warmly congratulate Michael and the authors of this book. I think it's a very important book. It's It's a major contribution to a very important debate within Europe, the debate about solidarity. I would say that solidarity is a natural consequence of the new way of doing things in Europe after the Second World War. Uh, it was born out of necessity and choice. The new way of doing things postulates interdependence and of course interdependence will increase as you increase European integration. I think this is well understood by the members of the European Council generally because they constantly experience the necessity of exchanging, of giving and of taking. So I think that is well understood. Now of course States have not become altruistic bodies who forsake the defence of their national interests, as I explained in one of the former talks. They defend their national interests. The difference now is it is done in a spirit of compromise and in a spirit of solidarity. I think uh, Michael makes an important point about the uh, one of the chapters he mentions in this book, the Polish chapter. And the point is the following, that there is a tendency uh, in quite a few countries sometimes, or parts of countries, uh, to look at solidarity in a one-sided way. Now, that, of course, doesn't work. It's like in a family. You cannot just take, you also have to give at some stage. And so I always see the concept of Uh, solidarity together with the concept of responsibility. Now having said this, I would not just single out one country or one government like the Polish one. Uh, I think you see this behaviour in more than one country and I do not think that the Poles have not understood the need uh, to give and take, the need to show compromise. Uh, I always remember there was a very difficult European Council a few years ago when the Polish Prime Minister tried to block the nomination of President Tusk for his second term. The following day, there was an important debate about the future of Europe, and the Polish Prime Minister participated in a very open and constructive way to this debate.
0: Thank you, Jim. Well, Michael, based on the book, Do national leaders understand solidarity as a long-term investment, as a purely altruistic action, or as something to be opportunistically sought from the others? Does the book show any geographical or historical patterns in understanding the notion of solidarity?
1: Yes, it does. So, in these 41 chapters, you will see really very different views also taking on, on board the geographical notion. There is one notion of the uh, Baltic bubble, for example, which is really exciting to read because it it is all around the first wave of COVID-19 and you see that it is actually uh, the Baltic states, uh, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia, agreeing to keep their internal borders, their borders to each other open. And this is remarkable at times when actually, take Luxembourg, for example, around Luxembourg, all the countries shut down their borders and basically... Mm -hmm. Nothing could move anymore. The employees couldn't travel and cross the borders. And this was really a very interesting experience. And both, or all three authors of all three chapters, independently um, um, elaborate on this uh, Baltic bubble as a concept of reciprocity and a very well-functioning way of European solidarity in action.
0: Michael, you're implying that only together we can be strong. Jim, what prevents the member states from showing more solidarity to each other? The book brings some examples of lack of solidarity. The Belgian chapter speaks about the peak of the COVID crisis, when half of the intensive care beds were um, empty, but not even a single patient was transferred to Belgium from neighboring countries. The Italian chapter describes the temporary ban from France and Germany to sell medical equipment to Italy. Uh, the Greek chapter reminds of lack of solidarity in managing the migration flows. If solidarity is such a necessity, as Michael said, why do member states so often fail to provide it?
2: Miriam, because life is complicated and perfection is not of this world, if I may say so. Uh, this is a constant struggle. There are often conflicting short term interests and views, and it takes some time to sort them out. This is entirely normal. This is true for the EU. It happens everywhere in the world, of course. There has been a lot of dithering. There have been errors. There has been a lack of solidarity in many parts of the globe, including within states. Now, the examples you quote um, from the book, they are, of course, true and they are regrettable. But they often reflect a certain moment in time. Uh, If you look back over time. You will see that, for instance, the uptake of possibilities to have patients treated in other countries has been much bigger over time. There have been quite a lot of impressive shows of solidarity across the uh, European Union, and the ban to sell medical equipment uh, by France and Germany was very short-lived. Uh, they quickly understood that this was not the way to do things. So uh, if you look back over a longer period, I think uh, the situation looks quite different. Now, overall, um, I persist to believe that the uh, European Union did handle the Covid crisis quite well. Uh, i just give you three examples. The first one is the huge recovery fund, uh, which shows a lot of active solidarity, which was adopted. Uh, the second one is the procurement of exile, criticized initially, but actually a huge success if we look back at it now. And the third one is the European uh, Certificate. So uh, at the same time, the Union has managed to maintain the single market functioning, which is absolutely key to make sure that the s- supermarkets still have stocks uh, and uh, things to, to sell. Now, migration is a big pic- difficult issue. we probably come back to that in more detail. There is more being done than people think actually, but it is true. We have some fundamental disagreements uh, on the best way to handle things. We will have to work on those because we need an active and agreed way of expressing solidarity in this particular area if you want to avoid lasting uh, damage. Uh, One additional comment here. Solidarity in itself cannot be flexible, but the way to exercise it can be flexible. So you can show solidarity in different ways. For instance, at the height of the crisis, there were countries who refused the quotas of migrants, but they invested heavily into strengthening Frontex, for instance, with resources and money.
0: Many people would argue that in the area of asylum and migration, European solidarity is most needed, but also most absent. The challenge of dealing with asylum-seekers is mostly on the shoulders of Greece, Italy, Spain and the countries in the Balkans. Newly, there is also a very difficult situation on the Polish, Latvian and Lithuanian borders with Belarus. Have other EU member states provided meaningful solidarity to those on the external borders of the European Union?
2: Uh, Miriam, I, I, first of all, I do not think that the uh, burden with asylum seekers is mostly on the shoulders of Italy, Greece, and Spain. This is only true when you have a massive and uncontrolled arrival of migrants at our external borders. Here you should actually add then Cyprus, you should add Malta, and now, of course, Poland and Lithuania. If you look at the handling of asylum cases, then by far Sweden, Germany, and Austria are the ones who carry the biggest burden. The first show of solidarity in my view, of course, is to precisely avoid uncontrolled massive arrivals which cannot be handled properly. So we'd have to strengthen uh, the control of our external borders. This is now happening in the case of borders with uh, Belarus. This is something where Poland, Lithuania must be helped. This is real solidarity. It's solidarity and it is of course self-interest because if Lukashenko gets away with what he's doing, a very cynical ploy of instrumentalizing poor migrants to score political points, then we will all be losers. We simply cannot allow this uh, to happen and to allow him to create chaos at our external borders. You are right, we must also help other countries, for instance, countries of transit, like Jordan or Turkey uh, or Lebanon, And we have to work with the countries of origin. All that is, of course, being done. What we still lack is to have an agreement on what to do precisely when this fails and that we are confronted with an extraordinary situation. There we still are not entirely clear on who should do what. We have to work on that.
0: Michael, would you like to comment on that?
1: Well, I can just encourage everyone to read, for example, the Swedish chapter on handling, for example, the cases. I mean, the Swedish chapter illustrates this very, very well um, um, in terms of uh, handling the uh, asylum cases and the crisis as such. And there are the chapters on Cyprus, in fact, and Malta, two islands uh, Mm. which have probably experienced the lowest point of European solidarity during uh, the migration crisis, both willing to help I just remind you that Malta, for example, played a central role in the evacuation of EU and foreign nationals during the Libyan civil war of 2011. But Malta alone took all full quotas um, of designated migrants under the relocation agreement following the 2015 migration crisis. So it is in this particular area, this area of migration, with uh, characterized by marked willingness of, of this country uh, to help that it actually uh, witness uh, the low, lowest point of, of European solidarity. Or let's have a look, for example, at the Austrian chapter, also um, very very eye-opening in, in many regards, because it is there where oh, the Austrians, uh, since the mid-1980s, um, dealing and, and, and basically uh, supporting at the very early beginning um, uh, the reception of refugees, however, political discourse by then and public opinions have changed quickly. Uh, we mm-hmm. witnessed this and and with the arrival specifically also of uh, Muslim from many Muslim countries, um, the Austrian identity was put up there, um, 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 uh, questioning um, about uh, identity and values, and that um, as in many other member states, um, such worries, it was specifically those worries that translated then eventually into politics and less European solidarity, strengthening white-wing populist parties and views.
0: Michael, thank you very much. Uh, well, most chapters speak about solidarity in times of crisis. By contrast, the French uh, chapter points at a more long-term vision of Solidarity based on common regulatory standards and a certain level of redistribution. Does the European Union need deeper integration in order to um, achieve greater sense of solidarity? Or could the member states help each other more in the union that they already have?
1: Well, it goes hand in hand, I would say, because in the end, it is European integration. You can have European integration. On the one hand, you need solidarity for this. and At the same time, um, it is European integration uh, also following from solidarity. So it is um, pretty much a matter of, of solidarity and interdependence, because in the end, between member states we we, we badly need more European solidarity precisely because we are heavily interdependent in in, in political terms, in economic terms, but also in cultural terms. And that's extremely important to understand um, and how well a political entity such as the European Union is doing depends very much on how much it can count on solidarity between the member states, but also its citizens. That's extremely important to to understand and to make sure to talk about these interdependencies. We can't solve all the problems ourselves um, nationally. So acting on solidarity requires identification with those. um, We want to help. And for this, we need to know about each other. Uh, We need to strengthen the European common identity for this purpose, without which we cannot really see European solidarity in action, so European solidarity requires a form of European identity in the end.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a very good point about the importance of European identity. Jim, if we look back at the eurozone crisis, wouldn't you say that there was too little sense of um, European identity, and that the emergency loans to Greece and other countries were only agreed in order to save the euro, and uh, the uh, European financial system, but not really out of solidarity.
2: First of all, I'd like to say that saving the euro is, of course, also an expression of solidarity because it's our common currency for everybody involved. Uh, First of all, let me say that I agree with uh, Michael on raising the awareness of Common identity it is of course very important. There is a link here. This does not, of course, mean that you automatically agree on everything um, immediately. It does not happen at the national level. Uh, Michael very well knows that Bavaria uh, does not always react in the same way than Hamburg or nordrhein westfalen, for instance. In the Euro-area crisis, I think we all agree today that the reaction of the European Union was initially too slow, uh, but we should not forget that where we came from. There was a no bail-out clause in uh, the original treaties at the creation of the Euro, because it was considered that solidarity could not be practised at the level it is nationally. Why? Well, because the constraints on fiscal responsibility are not the same than in a national state. So there is a clear uh, limit there. And that is why uh, one point which Michael made I find particularly important. There is a link between the level of solidarity and the feeling of a common identity and interdependence. Uh, And it's a two-way street. On the one hand... Uh, uh, the more you are integrated and you have a common identity, the more you expect solidarity. But the more you create active solidarity, the more you become a family. So it's a two-way street. In the end, I would say on the uh, so-called euro crisis that finally the European Union did the right thing, uh, a massive uh, European stability mechanism with programs to help the countries uh, in need. Uh, The ECB, which was allowed to become a bit more like the American Fed rather than simply the Bundesbank and, of course, Greece stayed in the uh, euro, thank God. So I do not think you can strictly determine whether this was about solidarity with Greece or self-interest. It all goes together. This was about helping Greece to stay in in the euro but also to help the euro to survive.
0: Michael, it seems that... In the EU solidarity is often expressed by the creation of financing mechanisms, for example, the cohesion policy or the Just Transition Fund or the Solidarity Fund. Isn't this too impersonal? Shouldn't and couldn't EU member states help each other, especially in crisis, in more visible and tangible ways, for example with gas supplies or medical supplies?
1: Yes, uh, I agree, I, and I think it is indeed much more, even even going beyond what you just said, because in the end, what these chapters show, but also this basically comes down to my personal conviction, is that you see that European solidarity is also, in fact, a European institutional principle. and And, and that's, I think that everyone needs to understand is that it is the EU institutions very much endorsing and and being inspired by solidarity, and with this contributing to uh, European social justice, which is extremely important uh, in the European Union with 27 different, very different uh, member states and very different uh, also citizens. We have seen that it involves forms of reciprocity, that's important as well, I I mean, Jim just made the point. Um, and hence it's about fundamental equality. And and we see that uh, being uh, European solidarity, being a a principle of the functioning of the European Union and its institutions, um, that that you find it back in the European Parliament with the principle of digressive proportionality. You find it back, uh, for example, also in the European Council, uh, very nicely so, uh, with this existing club spirit but also in the council, voting rights, based on double majority. You need the majority of member states, but also of the citizens, 55 to 65%. So um, this is exactly what I wanted to to, to say here, that this inspiration of European solidarity within the EU institutions. It's everywhere, we just need to talk more about it.
0: But Do you mean that having a seat at the table is solidarity from the big countries to the smaller ones? This brings to mind a couple of examples when um, big EU member states took important decisions unilaterally. For example, on the construction of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Germany to Russia, or when France and the UK decided to support the uprising in Libya ten years ago but did not manage to stabilise the country afterwards?
1: Well, I would put it differently probably. To start off with, um, read the British chapter, the UK chapter of the book and you will see that there is something, some in the UK at least, have never really really understood and that is that you have in in the European Union, the states are equal. Right, And that even a British representative would have a need to negotiate with someone from, from Luxembourg or, or, or from Ireland on the basis of equality. Uh, and this is something, as I said, some in the UK have never really understood and led to Brexit. At the same time, the, the, the examples you just raised, um, yes, I agree. I would have probably liked to see more European solidarity in action personally. But to be very frank, we have to start first of all uh, with the treaties and and, and whether it is big or small countries and member states taking unilateral action in fields where the EU still doesn't have so much to say, like on North Stream 2 or on Libya, I guess Mm. this is not something you should blame the member states for. I think this this would be here my point. At least, not as long as member states cannot agree to channel national competences Mm. to the European Union level. I think this is what it comes in the end down to. So I agree that these have to be that that these have been missed chances, and this has those cases probably have led to more distrust amongst EU member states. Um, But again, my point is here uh, very clear that as long as the European Union doesn't really have a say here, don't blame big nor small countries for acting in their national interest.
0: Jim, going back to my earlier question to Michael, the Greek chapter points out that in the context of migration, European solidarity has been almost exclusively expressed in financial terms rather than in political or even humanitarian actions. Wouldn't more tangible and visible ways of expressing solidarity contribute to a stronger sense of European identity that Michael called for earlier?
2: Uh, I would say, Miriam, that financial assistance is, of course, a major uh, expression of solidarity in migration and elsewhere. It was absolutely key in the financial crisis. Greece has been, remains and remains, a major beneficiary of structural funds. Those funds are, of course, a very tangible expression of uh, solidarity, because they allow you to develop your economy, your social fabric, your education. Uh, you, it allows you to, uh, farm for to, to have farmers living off their lands and all of them, many other things. And of course, to strengthen the protection of the external borders. The debate on migration was not just about money. It was also, to a large extent, about values. It was about many other issues. And when uh, the EU made the deal with Turkey, this was a very political way of finding a solution and it was a way of expressing solidarity with Greece because it was trying to prevent Greece from being uh, confronted with an impossible uh, situation. Now respecting the Dublin principles in this crisis was simply not possible for a country like Greece or Italy who were at the forefront. But to be fair, neither Italy nor Greece had really applied the Dublin system of asylum before the crisis. Um, uh, The result of what some people called a wave through policy of migrants led to the fact that practically the large majority of the people coming in via Greece and Italy ended up anyway in Sweden, Germany, and Austria and other countries. Now, more generally, I do believe, uh, looking at it more positively, that in the various crises, the Union has shown quite a lot of resilience and that we are today more resilient, but also more interdependent than we were before the crisis. So uh, I think that's a positive aspect. I would finally say you rightly talk about major debates about values, about solidarity and all of that. I would not underestimate the contribution of the directly elected parliament in this respect, which is a real forum for all of those debates and where you do have increasingly truly European debates which are quite contradictory, often very difficult for the Council of the European Council, but that is what I think characterises European democracy in action.
0: Michael, how would you assess the EU's solidarity towards its neighbourhoods? Earlier this year, we witnessed a dramatic situation when the Russian state-owned gas company suddenly reduced gas supplies to Moldova. The European Union gave uh, around 60 uh, million euros in budget support to Moldova and Moldova was able to buy limited amounts of gas on the European markets. However, the outcome was that Moldova had to settle on a new contract with Gazprom that um, prolongs Russian influence over um, Moldova's gas supplies for another five years. This raises a broader question also for you, Jim. How much capacity and willingness do EU countries have for solidarity with its neighbors that are not members?
2: Uh, It's difficult to go into the kind of detailed file you've just mentioned, because we don't have all the elements here. But I would say the following. First of all, providing 60 million of budget support in a situation like that is a very positive measure. Uh, I'm also almost certain that the Commission helped the Moldovans in their dealings with uh, Gazprom. Um, Now, there is one additional point maybe I could make, and that is that it is true that the more we have a diversified situation in terms of uh, buying gas, and to be more independent from individual uh, partners, like Russia, for instance, the more, of course, we increase the chances of doing what people call reverse flows, in other words, gas, which is imported into the EU, then being re-exported to other members of the EU or even to countries like Moldova. So this is an an important concern we could have. I would like to add a few more general points. First of all, enlargement generally was a massive operation in solidarity, A lot of what used to be the neighbourhood is now part of the family and the process, of course, goes on. Secondly, the European Union has created the Eastern Partnership and the Mediterranean policy backed up by substantial funding. If I look at the MFF 21 and 27, this amounts to about 20 billion uh, euros, which is quite massive. This, of course, would be more successful if, on the other side of the equation, things worked better. If, for instance, Morocco and Algeria work together a bit more, that's very euphemistically to say that they don't work at all, of course, and they are actually uh, totally confrontational. Or if in the Eastern Partnership Group, you know, we didn't have to deal with countries like Belarus. It would be, of course, much more efficient. My third point is that the EU, the member states and the institutions are by far the biggest donors in ODA in the world. And finally, we are the only place in the world Which exported more doses of vaccines than we consumed internally. We're the only place in the world to do that. So I think overall, uh, the European Union uh, is very good at showing solidarity inside the EU, but also outside.
1: Yeah, I agree fully. I mean, this is really what I would say, this sort of European solidarity matters a great deal, and you see this very nicely back also in the book, in the Mm -hmm. various chapters. If you read the Lithuanian Mm -hmm. chapter, for example, uh, it might matter more than for other countries, yes, but the Lithuanian chapter underlines this very, very importantly, that there is a need, or that they consider that there is a need to support democratization processes in the eastern neighborhood. And this is just one of a few examples you you could discover um, uh, by reading uh, a few more chapters.
0: We could debate this at length, but time is running out. Now, let's look ahead at the green transition. Reducing emissions will be costly. The European Union will have a just transition fund uh, for the most affected regions, including the coal mining regions. Do you foresee other forms of solidarity that might be needed, also within individual member states?
2: Miriam, the short answer to this is yes. This will be a very costly process, both inside the EU, but also outside. Uh, One of the most difficult points in Glasgow at the recent COP26 was about how to finance uh, the path towards carbon neutrality for the poorer members of the international community. Concerning the outcome of uh, Glasgow, uh, it's always the same. Some people see things as... see this as the glass being half empty and others as the glass being half full. Personally, I think that the outcome uh, is positive in the sense it maintains the process uh, alive and it allows for some progress. But we all know the road is still very long uh, before we solve the global uh, climate change dilemma. For the EU, the challenge will be to adopt and to implement FIT for 55, this major package which the Commission has put on the table. And of course in this process one of the key questions is assistance to regions and countries uh, who have a particularly difficult time reaching this because of their internal situations. This is what I would call active solidarity. It will be a very difficult debate but I think the Union will get there. Finally, let me say that if you look at the recovery fund and the MFF which recently agreed, there is a political agreement. That at least 30 percent of this massive uh, sum of 1.8 trillion uh, euros, 30 percent of this will have to be devoted to the fight against climate change. So I think we are in a rather good place here.
0: Thank you, Jim Michael. What would be your take on this, and how would you conclude?
1: Yes, I I agree, I would definitely agree, I think and I'm convinced that European solidarity should continue to be a leading principle when crafting and reforming uh, and triggering the needed reforms um, of the functioning of the European Union. uh, To address those challenges you were just highlighting, um, um, such as the digital transformation or population ageing, migration or green transition, as you just mentioned, right? what I probably want to get at at the very end of this chat now is, in this book, I, I think this is or this is exactly what this book is about. Uh, it is about stressing that there have been and that there will be different forms of European solidarity pretty much in practice, um, starting on the ground between rural uh, and u- urban areas, cross-regional um, solidarity within countries but also amongst groups of EU member states, and, not to forget, non-EU member states. So this volume consisting of 41 uh, chapters takes up a very eye-opening journey across Europe um, through varying national perspectives um, on lived and perceived solidarity. And, and it's, it's sometimes a sobering travel. It's not all rosy and all shiny and very positive. Uh, we have disappointments, um, um, and, and it's very diverse. It, it's, it, but in the end, it comes down to the fact, I would say, that European solidarity, and this is what this volume shows, is a European value, is, is, a, is, is clearly a motive for action. It is uh, inspiring EU institutions, as we have discussed here today. And it is definitely and clearly identified by many of the authors as a cornerstone of European integration. Uh, And in the end, it comes down to the simple fact that it is about understanding each other, or even more important, bringing along the willingness to understand each other. And this is, in the end, what this book is all about.
0: Thank you so much, Michael, and thank you very much, Jim. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank all the authors of 41 chapters, and thank you all for watching. See you next time.
1: This podcast is co-funded by the Europe for Citizens programme of the European Union. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents which reflects the views only of the authors and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may be made of the information contained therein.